Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Inner Source Healing Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you heal from toxic abuse. My name is Deborah Ashway, and I'm a licensed clinical mental health therapist and a licensed clinical addiction specialist. But more than that, I'm someone who's been where you are now and has experienced the devastating effects of toxic abuse. It's been a long journey through the path of healing, but I'm here to share with you the insights and the tools that I've gathered along the way. In this podcast, we'll explore the common symptoms that result from experiences with toxic abuse, such as depression, anxiety, low self-esteem, and feeling trapped. We'll also delve into the various techniques used by individuals with toxic and manipulative behaviors. But most importantly, I'll provide valuable techniques and practices to aid in the healing process. The healing journey brings us through those long-standing false perceptions that hold us back from experiencing a more fulfilling and meaningful life. It's about healing from dependency, codependency, trauma bonding, and abuse. You don't need to feel trapped anymore. Join me as we explore the path to inner healing and empowerment. This episode is about the dance of destructive behaviors, which refers to the repetitive patterns that characterize toxic relationships, and particularly in the context of narcissistic abuse. This metaphorical dance follows a very typical order of stages that really just serves to perpetuate the cycle of harm. And at its core, this dance involves a very harmful and toxic pattern, a very harmful and toxic partner that lures their victim into the intricate steps of manipulation, either emotional or physical abuse. The gaslighting and the other toxic behaviors are all part of it, and understanding this dance is crucial in identifying and breaking free from the cycle of abuse that traps so many individuals in destructive relationships. We're going to look closely and examine the stages because they're pretty typical and they also not only follow patterns of abuse in relationships, but it very closely follows the patterns of indoctrination into other controlling types of institutions. So let's look at stage one, the very first stage. That's typically the love bombing stage. This first stage of the dance is usually called the honeymoon phase. It's also known as the love bombing stage because during this early period, the abusive partner presents themselves as loving, charming, attentive, and effectively luring their victim into a false sense of security. This is where they shower you with affection and gifts and compliments, and they make you feel cherished and valued 
this stage sets the stage. This is the primary foundation upon which they build this relationship. They are setting the stage that serves to build the emotional attachment and dependency that is crucial for them for the manipulation to come. The love bombing stage, while love bombing is a term that is more commonly associated with the initial phases of a narcissistic relationship, where the narcissist overwhelms the victim with affection, attention, flattery. It can also be used in a similar context later on in the relationship when they try to reconnect. But this is a little bit different. The narcissist later tries to employ small talk as a means of showering the victim with superficial charm to regain their trust or interest later on. But that's a different phase. We're talking about this initial phase of love bombing. When you first meet a narcissist, the first meeting of a narcissist, the empath typically feels an almost instant connection. This person appears to be so charming and attentive and charismatic, and they make you feel like you're the best thing in the world. They put you on a pedestal and they make you believe that you couldn't, that they couldn't possibly live without you so that you in turn start to believe that as well about them. During this phase comes the montage of intense connecting events. The connection is described as electrical or magnetic. They create a false sense of intimacy and compatibility. They mirror you. They pretend that they're interested in all the same things that you're interested in. They pretend that they're so attracted to you that they can't live without you. It feels like you are the luckiest person in the world to be the target of their desire. It makes you feel very desirable. They make you believe that you have so much in common and that you're meant for each other, that you're each other's soulmate. They want you to feel important in their presence. Like it's an exclusive club to be a part of their orbit. And this isn't at all unlike the tactics used by cults and other organized recruiting institutions. This is what they do. This is where they build you up. Then we move on to stage two. We'll talk about stage two when we come back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Stage two is the isolation stage. As the honeymoon phase sort of fades away, this dance progresses into this isolation stage, which is also known as tension building stage because isolation is created through overt and covert tension. This is created by them. During this phase, the abusive partner's behavior becomes more unpredictable and critical, and they might exhibit minor acts of aggression or passive aggressiveness. They might engage in emotional manipulation. This is where they begin to instill fear and control. You might begin to notice that you're starting to feel a little bit anxious here. 
What they want to do here is they want to isolate you in order to have more control over you. They don't want you to have any outside influences. You might find yourself believing that this is your choice to decrease your communication and your interactions with your friends and family. And the more, the more skilled the narcissist is, the more you're going to believe this and feel like this is your choice. And they do this through tactics such as devaluing others, like your family or friends, or devaluing people um, through comparison. They might devalue your family and friends without actually letting you know that they're talking about your family and friends by comparing their characteristics, bringing up characteristics that they disapprove of or that they see in others, that they see in a negative way. Typically, this is where the narcissist begins to try to divide and conquer, isolating you from people around you, friends and family who either support or oppose your relationship. And isolation is also done through physical proximity. For example, some abusers move their victims away or keep them from communicating with others in a variety of ways. They might create a, a sense of so much obligation that you don't even have time for anything else. Or they might they might make promises of a better life in a more remote location. Or sometimes they keep you so busy that you don't even have time for anybody else. Others um, create sort of a pattern of negative consequences for going out with your friends or spending too much time with others. And it's very subtle, but you begin to pick up on this. Your nervous system begins to pick up on this. And this is where the training begins. After becoming isolated, you usually start to feel trapped in self-doubt, which only further solidifies their hold over you. Then we move on to stage three, devaluing. The third stage in this dance is the devaluation stage sometimes known as the explosion stage. This is where they try to blow you apart or tear you down, tear your sense of self down. At this point, the tension that has been building reaches a boiling point, And this is where you start to question your own worth and your sanity, your judgment, and you start to feel confused. This is where the fog sets in, the fog that we talk about, which refers to the fear, obligation, and guilt. And also a sense of shame settles in, causing you to second guess almost everything. The abuser starts to criticize and blame and manipulate and belittle and threaten the empath for everything that goes wrong in the relationship. And gaslighting is one of the main manipulative tactics that is used. This is where the abusive partner distorts reality and makes the victim doubt their own perceptions, their own sense of self, and it's it's often used during this phase. They do this because they want to foster a sense of dependency from you. If you believe that you have no value, then you must get your value from them. They initiated this process in the love bombing stage by building you up with compliments, training you to believe that your validation comes from them. They want to tear you away from your sense of self and knowing your own worth. If you know your own worth, then you're not going to be as dependent on them. And remember, that's what they're after. They want to control you. They don't want you to know your own worth. They want you to believe that your worth comes from them. 
Stage four is the deception stage. Once they think they have you under their control, they believe that they can start obtaining your resources, such as time, energy, money, attention, as well as other supply in other areas at their convenience. This is the phase where they might cheat and lie or hide their true intentions, all the while accusing you of being dishonest or unfaithful or crazy. You've at this point come to believe that you need them for your own sense of self, and by now it has evolved into a sense of needing them for other things as well. In this phase, empaths usually find themselves having difficulty concentrating, difficulty making decisions on their own, and a higher level of anxiety sometimes occurs at this stage, even panic attacks. And so let this be your signal that you might be entering or you might be in this phase, in this phase four of a toxic relationship. The victim's sense of reality has been distorted by now through gaslighting techniques enough by this time that when they enter into this phase, they doubt their own perceptions of reality and they rely on what is told to them by the abuser. And this is how narcissists, sociopaths, and psychopaths can remain in toxic behaviors for so long. The empaths by this point in time and by this phase in the relationship have been conditioned to not question reality, including the narcissist's behaviors. This conditioning comes in the form of subtle or not so subtle threats or anger or playing the victim or gaslighting. Any number of techniques can be used here. I'll touch on some of them here, but I have more information about them. There's a lot more information about each one of these out there, and I'll cover some more in other podcasts and in my book that's coming out. But um, let's just talk about a few of them. Gaslighting, that's a that's a very common toxic behavior, and this is the almost the central component of this dance. The abuser uses gaslighting to distort the victim's reality, and this causes them to question everything, their memories, their thoughts, their perception. This manipulation tactic really erodes the victim's sense of self and self-trust, and this is what makes them dependent on the abuser's version of reality. For example, an abusive, toxic spouse might be having an affair, and everything in the empath's gut and intuition is telling her that her spouse is being unfaithful. She knows this deeply. She might even see evidence of this in the form of actual sensory inputs, hardcore evidence. She might see lipstick on, the, on his clothing, or she might smell perfume, or she might taste like strawberry chapstick on his lips when she kisses him. Even though she's seeing this evidence in real, real actual form, and these are things that can actually be detected and measured almost through the sensory system, all the narcissist has to do at this point is tell her that she is overly jealous or that she's crazy or that she's not able to perceive things correctly or that that's not how it really is, etc. anything. And at this point, that's enough to confuse the empath into believing the narcissist. 
the narcissist only needs to offer the most minimal of excuses, usually very weak and unconvincing to most people. And it would be absolutely unbelievable to even the empath had they not been conditioned up until this point. They might deny the lie. They might outright deny that they lied and try to make you feel like you misunderstood or misinterpreted the situation, or they'll minimize the lie. They'll downplay it. They'll downplay the significance of it. They portray it as a harmless mistake or a trivial matter, or they shift the blame. They redirect the blame onto you or others and often making you feel responsible for the lie or, or, or even suggesting that somebody else caused this deception. A lot of times they'll use projection where they project their own dishonesty onto the victim, accusing them of lying or being deceitful without any evidence, or they twist the truth. They distort the facts or the events. They make it harder for the victim to discern the truth because they might take a small grain of the truth and then twist it or distort it. Gaslighting is highly damaging to the victim's self-esteem, their confidence, their emotional well-being. This creates confusion and a sense of powerlessness. And through manipulation, the abuser continues to exploit the victim's vulnerabilities and insecurities and manipulating their emotions and their decisions to maintain control. This is what they're doing to control the situation, control the relationship, and control you. They use guilt, they use shame, they use false promises, they use whatever they need to use to ensure that you stay emotionally bound to them. Stage five is the narcissistic rage. Narcissistic rage doesn't have to be outright rage. It can be covert rage. This is just the term that's used um, for this control tactic. This is when they begin to lash out at the empath with anger, threats, or anything else to cause a sense of instability or not feeling safe. And they do this whenever they feel that they are close to being exposed. The reaction of narcissistic rage, the purpose of this, well, there's several, several purposes actually for the narcissist. And the main purpose is to protect their ego. They have such a fragile and inflated sense of self-esteem. And so when their behavior is challenged or criticized, they perceive it as a threat to their self-image, as um, their self-image in their mind is they're trying to be perfect or superior individuals. So the rage comes out as a defense mechanism to protect that. They don't want anybody to see through the cracks of their facade. They also do this to maintain control by reacting with the narcissistic rage. They attempt to intimidate and control whoever's calling them out. They hope that the intensity of their anger will silence the person and discourage them from speaking up in the future ever again. They do this to shift the blame because if they can redirect the focus away from their own behavior by putting it on to you or somebody else or putting it on to the person who confronted them and make them feel guilty or responsible for the anger, then this this too can shut them down. This can cause the person to doubt themselves and may even lead to them actually apologizing for even raising the issue. 
They do this to avoid accountability. By responding with rage, they avoid taking responsibility for their actions. Or they avoid, they avoid responsibility for even having to make any changes in their behavior. So instead of reflecting on their actions, they react defensively and aggressively. And now you're the one reflecting on your actions. And they also do this to isolate. This is further isolation. Their rage can create fear and discomfort. And and so much so in the person who is calling them out that they will avoid future confrontations or speaking up about the narcissist's behavior. This can be embarrassing. So this isolation helps the narcissist maintain control over their victim, over the relationship. Stage six is the discard. At this stage, the narcissist might abruptly end the relationship, leaving you with a broken heart or feeling devastated and alone, blaming yourself for the demise of the relationship. The discard isn't always the narcissist ending the relationship, however, because they might just use the threat to end the relationship to keep you under control to keep you in fear. A lot of times the narcissist doesn't even actually want to leave the relationship. In fact, they hardly ever actually want to leave the relationship unless there's another supply that you are stopping them from. But they want to keep you feeling unsafe and unstable so that you maintain serving them emotionally and otherwise. They are betting on the fact that their programming has taken hold and that your sense of self has been so devalued that you won't be able to live without them. They believe that this is when you're going to start to beg. The begging will begin from you. Typically, the empath actually does try to contact the narcissist, hoping for an explanation or an apology or a reconciliation. And empaths often go into what is known as jade, which is where they find themselves overly justifying or arguing or defending or explaining. And they're desperately trying to get the narcissist to understand their perspective and evoke that change and get resolution. Stage seven is the return. After the explosion stage, after the discard stage, The dance transitions to the return. This is where the narcissist tries to return to the empath with the promise of change and remorse and more of what looks like love bombing and trying to rekindle that hope from the empath. But this is known as the hoovering stage. This is where they're hoovering. And this term is borrowed from the Hoover vacuum cleaner. It describes the narcissist's attempt to suck the victim back into the relationship or the situation that they had previously escaped. So they try the initial contact in a variety of ways. They might try to use small talk or other seemingly benign communication to see if the victim is still emotionally vulnerable or willing to engage with them. The abusive partner might express remorse. They might look like they're apologizing. They might give you promises of change. These are empty promises, by the way, because they will revert to this love bombing, what looks like love bombing and attentive behavior long enough to keep you or to pull you back in, to keep you believing 
that there is hope for this relationship, that it can improve, and that they can change. Stage eight is the remorse and reconciliation. And this is where the empath forgives the narcissist and believes that they have indeed learned their lesson and they are going to treat them better from now on. There's always a morsel of doubt in the empath because of the strong intuition. You have strong intuition. If you're listening to this because you are in or have been in a toxic relationship, you are likely an empath and that means you have very strong intuition. And if you have gone through this, you know what I'm talking about. It is too painful to allow that doubt to surface because that means that big changes are necessary and big changes are hard and difficult. And at this point in time, you're already programmed with not having a sense of self. So being alone is very scary. It's easier to listen to and it's less painful to allow the narcissist to return and believe things that are going to return to the way that they were in the beginning of the relationship. Stage nine is the delicate dance. Unfortunately, the remorse and the reconciliation stage is fairly short-lived, and the dance returns to the tension-building phase. This is the cyclical pattern that perpetuates as the abusive partner's tactics continue to escalate, leading into an increasingly toxic and dangerous environment for the victim. At this point in the relationship, you are unknowingly and habitually walking around on eggshells trying to avoid triggering the narcissistic rage, trying to avoid their displeasure. You have now unconsciously changed your behaviors to avoid their reaction because you know from repeated experience that that only serves to provide very negative consequences. So your mood and your day and your every move depends on their mood. At this point, you're hooked and you are dependent on them. You might employ sort of an accordion situation here where they pull you closer and push you away in this sort of inconsistent pattern that creates a roller coaster of emotions. Stage 10 is where you kind of take on the traits of some of the narcissistic tactics in order to survive these toxic relationships. Empaths inevitably learn some of the tactics. This is called narcissistic fleas because the empath picks up on and catches some of their fleas or some of their tactics. They begin to learn enough about the tactics in order to survive the manipulation. The empath might even begin to lie in order to hide their true feelings and their needs from the narcissist. This is because they've learned from experience and the repeated patterns that their needs and wants and feelings have been exploited and used against them. They might pretend to the narcissist that everything is fine and that they're happy. Again, because they know that if they don't, if they don't present this happy face, there will be negative consequences. Stage 11 is false hope. After pretending long enough, the pretending begins to feel like the norm. The empath forgets that they've been pretending because at this point, they're operating on habit and programming at a 
subconscious level because they've learned the dance enough to avoid the narcissistic rage and they begin to gain a sense of false hope. At this time, they might feel safe enough to have what's called the big talk with the narcissist. This is where the empath tries to communicate about their issues and expectations in the relationship, hoping for mutual understanding and respect. They hope that because everything has been going fairly smoothly, that there's a chance of returning back to what they perceived the narcissist to be at stage one. In this phase, you are indeed trapped. You feel like a prisoner of war in this relationship. You're unable to leave or stay. You might feel an overwhelming sense of fear, obligation, guilt, and definitely hopelessness. Stage 12 is the backstabbing and monkey gathering. That's what I call it. I'm not sure that there's an actual name for it, but this is where inevitably the narcissist or toxic abuser will betray your trust and your loyalty. And they, they can do this in any number of ways. And you might be shocked to find out or to learn that they have done the things that they've done. They've spread rumors about you or gossiped about you. Or you, might have, or you might learn that they sabotaged you or your efforts in some way behind your back. Victims of toxic abuse must begin the defense at this stage. You must start to defend yourself. Because empaths are nowhere near as skilled at these manipulation tactics, as narcissists, obviously, because they don't build their sense of self on this, they often use the wrong defenses in this for this situation. They, they use the wrong defenses against narcissists. The empaths typically will def defend themselves using logic or facts or evidence. And you would think that this is the correct way, and it really is actually the correct way because it is based in truth. However, these tactics fail to get through to anyone along the dark triad because those people have their defenses up and their defense is their ego. And it is so thick. It is such a very solid shield that truth will not get through. It resists truth, logic, and evidence, and it resists self-reflection. Stage 13, the final stage, the empath's final break. The only way out of this toxic dance is for you, the empath, to make the final break. That's it. You must finally realize that you need to protect yourself from this cycle of abuse and the cycle of harm by setting very firm boundaries and or by leaving the relationship block them. Stay away from them if you can. It, that's not always possible. But emotional abuse, it is a pervasive, toxic behavior in destructive relationships. It inflicts deep wounds that may not be visible, but they have long-lasting consequences. The abuser devalues the victim, humiliates them, and undermines their sense of self-worth. This emotional manipulation reinforces the victim's dependency on the abuser and reinforces that cycle of abuse. 
the dance of destructive behaviors within an abusive relationship involves a repetitive and harmful cycle that traps victims in a web of manipulation, either emotional or physical abuse, gaslighting, and other toxic behaviors. And understanding this dance, understanding this is essential for breaking free from the cycle and for seeking help and support to escape the clutches of an abusive partner and to get back to yourself, get back to your sense of self, know your worth. It is crucial to raise awareness about these toxic patterns, to promote healthy relationships and to provide resources for those affected by abuse to heal and reclaim their lives. If you want more information, come back and listen to more podcasts or visit my website, www.innersourcetherapy.com.